Hello, this is Darren Pulsifer, Chief Solution Architect of Public Sector at Intel. And welcome to Embracing Digital Transformation, where we investigate effective change leveraging people, process, and technology. On today's episode, Zero Trust Data with Shamim Nakhvi, CEO of Safely Share. Shamim, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Darren. Happy to be here. Hey, Shamim, um, you were brought to me by um, a, a friend of mine. I've worked with uh, uh, him for a long time, and he goes, Darren, I just started this new job at this new company. Great technology, really is really tackling an unknown space in uh, zero trust security and data security type of aspects. And I said, okay, I got to talk to Shamim. You've been around the block. You know what you're talking about. But before we get into use case or anything, Shamim, tell my audience a little bit about yourself and your background. Um, thank you, Darren, for the kind words. Um, yes, so so my name is Shamim Nakvi. I uh, graduated in WEM Computer Science from Northwestern University. That was a way back. Um, and found myself... Uh, doing uh, in the research department at Bell Labs shortly thereafter and spent the next 15 years um, working in the Unix uh, research lab with all the big names that you and I have already been wow, KNR, you knew those guys. I, yes, oh. I, I knew the founders, the builders, uh, uh, all the famous guys that did, uh, that, that, that did Unix. And uh, uh, some of it. Must so you have, were at Bell Labs then. You were right. You were right I on the thing at Bell Labs. I was in. I was in Murray Hill, the Darth Vader building. That if you know the building, you know what I'm talking about. Um, when you stand outside, it has this profile of Darth Vader. It used to be called the Darth Vader building. I know it. Yeah. And and uh, I was in the Unix lab for some time. And once in a while, I took a. Uh, I would take a sabbatical and go teach someplace for some time, a little bit for a semester or so, but then always came back. And then Bell Labs, at the, in, when I started, was a part of the uh, part of the world of AT and T. And then, of course, the consent decree happened, and the Bell system got broken up. The baby bells were born. Uh, Verizon is a product of that change, yeah. uh, et cetera. And then once that happened, um, I spent a couple of years in Bell Core, Bell Communications uh, Research, which was the uh, Bell Labs, the sort of Bell Labs for the regional Bell operating companies as well. Uh, and then and, and that got renamed as Telcordia, which you may have heard of. Oh, and yeah. then came back to Bell Labs again, which at that time was owned by Lucent Technologies. I worked at Lucent Technologies too, um, yeah. for a short time. Right. Which so I, anyway, we have a common pedigree, a little tiny overlap, but right, right. And then, so my last project was the Lucent Soft Switch, uh, which I did, and uh, uh, sort of ended up saying, well. Uh, Maybe I should go do a startup or two. So went to the Boston area and did three startups in a row. Uh, the first one was called 
Winforia Networks, which did the Motorola Nextel push to talk. We sold that to Motorola and then did another one called Logical Logic Information Machines and then did another one called A-List Networks, uh, moderately successful by today's standards. But each one had an interesting product at, at its core, something that you could, a technologist could sink his, his or her teeth into. So uh, with, and- with, with such a background in networking and telco, what in the world does that have to do with confidential computing or security that we talk about today? Uh, I think the common thread is an interesting computational problem. And, and I became interested. So, so for example, one of the startups I did was the, was the notion of using uh, very early machine learning techniques uh, to build to build financial prediction algorithms, etc. It was called logic information machines. So that had nothing to do with telcos. But no, it does not. <laughs> <laughs> then came back into partly the telco world. Did uh, mobile wireless, the last one that I did, uh, the one uh, before my current gig, uh, had to do with the video calling. In, but but I, I didn't call it video calling. I used to call it combinational service. It it would the call would start as a voice call and then you would add video to it or or other or other rich media into the call. Very cool, right? Or you would start out as a circuit switched call and then you would switch over in a in a uh, sort of interesting manner to a zero party call. And and make it a and make it a VoIP call, and then add some uh, rich media to the VoIP call. So, uh, so it's always been an interesting problem that needed a solution. It didn't matter if I had background in it or not, because I have always believed that I could learn the stuff as I as I went along. But in this particular case, I I was interested in security for a long time. In fact, I look at I I was looking at the blockchain technology world for a couple of years and wrote some pretty basic and sort of interesting patterns before I came across this notion of confidential computing. And the problem that I was trying to solve was the problem of data privacy. And to me, the the interest in confidential computing was not to sort of add to the notion of or, or to the technology of confidential computing, but seeing if it if it could be used as a tool to solve the data privacy problem. So that is of interest to me still, and that seems to be the main thing that safely shared this new startup, which I am uh, working on. Uh, so, yeah. so you took a different approach because a lot of people, when you talk about zero trust or you're talking about security in general, everyone I know starts at the network. Right. And they or they start at the individual device saying, I'm going to protect it against malware or I'm going to lock down ports. I'm going to encrypt all my data going across the network. You started with data privacy. Yeah, I I think is brilliant.
I was interested in data privacy. I was interested in the notion that how can I compute and make sure that my data in the computation was only known to me and to nobody else, or I knew who would be able to see the data. That's interesting because I'm going to go back to Unix because we talked a little bit about that, right? And you knew all the guys at, at Bell Labs at New Unix. When I first picked up Unix in the early 80s uh, for the first time, I, I was intrigued at the permission levels on data access yeah. and file access. Right. Um, but not understanding everything inside the computer at, at such a young age, I didn't quite understand that that didn't give me all the protection I need for real data privacy. Um, when did that really come, go beyond just protecting files into protecting data in memory? When do you recall that, that, that was really something that brought, uh, that, that was teased out as data protection in, 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 in privacy? There have, I mean, somewhere in the background, there was always this notion that you are using services that are that collect a lot of user data and you always had and i always had this concern about where is this user data going to be used and and for what purpose but there really seemed to be no no compelling reason of how how to stop that i mean you you liked the service and you trusted the service, the service provider. And it seemed to be a bargain, right? I give you my data and you and you provide a service. Of course, you also charge me for the service. Yeah, way. yeah, yeah. It's not much of a bargain when you really think about it, is it? <laughs> yeah, right. But there really was nothing much to do. And, and it didn't sort of come to me until I started to look at the blockchain world where I said, well, I, I am doing these financial transactions and who gets to see what I'm purchasing. If I go into, if, if I make a, if I make a purchase and I have to show my driver's license to you know, verify my age, because I am trying to buy uh, a case of wine, this being the Christmas season, of course, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I said, and and you have to show in certain states at least, or at least the state in which I live, you have to show that you are at least 21 years old. Which means that you that you pull out your driver's license or you type in or you provide your driver's license as a part of the ID verification process and, and a street address where this is going to be. So now you suddenly have your credit card information, your driver's license information, and everything associated with you known as a part of the of this transaction that you were trying to do and i became interested in the notion of can i can i submit this data in such a way that it can be computed with but not really known or passed on to some other computer program and that led me to this notion of uh, uh, zero knowledge proofs uh, which is a which is a terrible technical name but it essentially means that you can verify a piece of data without having 
without any additional knowledge uh, that you acquire in the process of verification of that data. But then the computational problem, of course, of zero-knowledge proofs is that they're highly intractable. So I, I, I was stuck. So I had a nice mathematical proof, but there was no really, no interesting way, no efficient way to compute with them. And that right. brought me to another sort of thing. So that was essentially the background. How can I provide information as a part of a service and not and 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 have it controlled still under my control as to what you can do with that information other than provide a service so it's almost like having that the data is never left out in the wild without some kind of uh security controls around it some some notion of saying i am giving you this data but i control what you can do with it if if you want to verify my age you can but that's all you can do. But that's all you can do. That's you, all. you know, it's interesting. When you were talking about this, it, it brought up something that just recently happened with, a, um, with people using um, checks, written out checks to pay for things at the store. Yeah. And this one older lady was having a hard time um, trying to use an ATM machine because she's never used, a, you know, the, the credit card or an ATM at the grocery because she's only ever used checks and on a check a lot of people print their address their phone number even their driver's license number their bank account numbers on there it's amazing how trusting we were in the past right and because everyone everything even some people even printed their social security number on their checks Sometimes the shopkeeper would ask you to put some some of that. Yes. They would say, please add your phone number because yeah. you will be writing a bum check. And that that is kind of how we do computing today, right? right. We send all the data right. to an external service to utilize it. Right. And if you compare that to modern um, things that we do today, even with our phone, we can generate a temporary credit card number yeah. to use for transactions that will, so it's only valid for a short period of time. And, and our name is not attached to that account, just the account number is. Right. And so there's a, a level of um, indirection that happens there. So I think it's interesting that society as a whole has already gone through this transition um, to more secure. Credit cards are much more secure than handing out a check. Yes. But in the IT realm, we're still doing things the old way. We're still sending data. People can copy it. They can do whatever they want with that data. And so we're still there. And so what you're proposing, it sounds to me, is something a little bit more attuned to let's have some more control around the data, even if I'm sending it to an external service or giving it to someone for a particular purpose. Is, is that kind of... right? I can share my data, but not lose control of it. Can share, but not lose control. That's, that's pretty, that's pretty clever. So I had a friend in the Bell system, actually, who used to, long time ago, of course, used to walk around only with cash and refused to use cards or, or write checks. 
were just uh-huh. there for cash. It was the, uh, in some sense, a great form of uh, of uh, having data privacy, right? Yeah, yeah, data with, privacy. Yeah. yeah, but but the problem with that approach is that you now cut yourself out from a whole lot of online services. You can't pay cash online. That is very true, and I never thought of it that way. Yeah. Um, so that was the privacy. That was my sort of way of thinking about how how will I how can I achieve data privacy? How can I provide data to a service to a computer program, but restrict what that computer program can learn from that data? So that that's interesting. So would you say there's a trade-off between data privacy, convenience, and service uh, service capabilities? Then all sorts of I, interesting things happen when you start exploring the tension between two things, right? So yes, right, yeah. you want complete privacy, and you want convenience, and there is somewhere in the middle is a nice balance, and it's mostly a personal choice about what you feel comfortable about. And so I was struggling with these ideas, but just to continue the story, um, a few years back, a friend of mine uh, who had started a company, uh, we met at a, uh, at a Starbucks. This is at the start of the COVID thing. And, and, and mm-hmm. that's the only place we could safely yeah. meet at that point. <laughs> So we met at the Starbucks. Yeah, because COVID doesn't happen at Starbucks. Yeah. Everyone knows that. Yeah. <laughs> so we met at a Starbucks and, and I said, what does this company do? And he said, well, we're getting data from this very high, uh, very large medical academic center. And our customers are pharmaceutical firms. And they want to have access to that data. But there's HIPAA regulations and uh, requirements and the Medical Academic Center is terribly interested in providing the data because they want to monetize it. They want to make some money. But at the same time, they are deathly scared of HIPAA violations. The PII, the PHI. And right, so yeah. there, was a, a, there was a business way of looking at the problem that I had been trying to tackle, which was how does the Medical Academic Center provide its data and not lose control of, of its data to the pharmaceutical company. And, 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 and I asked him, so how are you doing it today? And he said, we essentially act like a trusted party in the middle. And if you think about it, Darren, there are an enormous number of companies today in the world that are, I think, technically known as BAAs, Business Agreement Associates in the healthcare industry with multi-billion dollar valuations, who a large part of their business is in fact, except PII, PHI containing data, de-identify the data and provide it in some palatable fashion to their customers for money. Interesting. It, and it's, this, this is okay this because it like is This sounds like what Visa and MasterCard do for financial transactions. Because Visa, they don't know who I am. They just have a number. Yeah. And then they tell the bank how much was spent on this account. So they don't know me. So they don't have enough information to identify me. Is So is that 
kind of what these BAAs do. They're the same thing, but they know they know all the so information. The BAAs are in the healthcare industry. In the healthcare industry, right? Yeah. yeah. There is no notion of a BAA in the financial industry. In the financial, right? Yeah. The problem happens when you say that the, you only have a credit card information. There are other data sets that can be combined with your credit card data. Yes, of course. This in the healthcare industry is known as a longitudinal record. You have a patient record with one visit to Dr. A and you have another visit to Dr. B and you connect the two data sets together and you obtain the entire history of that patient. Right? In, in a similar sense, you can create a so-called longitudinal financial record of a customer and say, oh, this card number, this street address, and that card number, everything is all tied up to Darren Pulsifer. Right. And then you have the entire financial history of the person. And that's something I don't want out there, right? Right. You don't want that. Right. So so th this is kind of at the dilemma, right? Because can you imagine what we could do if I had more information about individuals altruistically? I could do a lot. I could help uh, with financial. I could help um, educational, healthcare. There's a whole bunch of things I can do. But because we have this notion of data privacy, I'm kind of blocked from doing all that. Yeah. 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 So I can't provide additional services to someone that really may need them right. um, because of, of data privacy. So how do I overcome that? How do I overcome this? I see the big problem. The, the problem's huge. I can't combine information together because of data privacy um, laws, regulations. Yeah, and if maybe I don't want that much power in one person's hands anyway. If you care about the regulations, then you have a real problem on your hands. Yeah, some firms, unfortunately, still haven't come to the come to sort of appreciate the problem or 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 take a risk. Uh, I'm 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 sad to tell you that some 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 firms decide that the fines are worth the risk. The fines are worth the risk. Yeah. Right. So you so we don't need a solution for, for that type of thinking. But if you are a service provider and you want to be cognizant of the problem of data privacy, then I think that there are techniques that and technologies that are becoming available that help you solve this problem. And Safely Share is trying one set of solutions, and there are other firms in this space as well. Thank you, Shamim, for great insight. Check out our next episode where this interview continues with Shamim as we talk more about data protection and Safely Share. Thank you for listening to Embracing Digital Transformation today. If you enjoyed our podcast, give it five stars on your favorite podcasting site or YouTube channel. You can find out more information about Embracing Digital Transformation at Embracing Digital. Org. Until next time, go out and do something wonderful.